welcome to First Baptist Church of Fisherville in Fisherville, Tennessee, and our first attempt at online church. Um, if you would have told me uh, back a couple weeks ago that uh, today, here on March 22nd, we would be holding services online instead of holding them in our sanctuary because of the fact that there was a virus going through our nation that would prevent us from being able to meet together, I would have thought you were joking. Uh, none of us would have ever predicted um, what we're now seeing with the spread of this coronavirus. I mean, I think of the fact simply that words like social distancing and self-quarantining, those weren't in our vocabulary even just a few weeks ago. But here we are in the middle of a global pandemic, all just wondering what's going to happen next. Every time we turn on the news, it seems like things change and it never seems to change for the good. Uh, these are definitely some frightful times. But let me just tell you, these frightful times must be faith-filled times. And according to the word of the Lord, these can actually be times of growth, times of progress, times of spiritual maturity for us. A couple of weeks ago, we studied, we studied James chapter 1 in verse 2 where it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, here we are. I mean, we studied those verses. We didn't think we were going to be here, but here we are in the middle of a trial now. And I guess it is time to count it joy. Uh, even when I think about the situation, the trials that we're all facing probably take on a little different form for each family out there. I know there's the social trial um, that we're going through just with the change in our routines. Many of us um, aren't able to leave home. You're staying at your house as much as you can. Your kids can't go to school. Now maybe you can't go to work because your kids can't go to school and you're scrambling trying to figure out what to do. Um, you feel like you're stuck. Uh, you feel like there's nothing on TV because there's no sports to watch. Now I know that's just trivial, but for some of us, the social trials we're going through are very real. I mean, if you, like I said, if you have kids in your home and you suddenly can't go to work because you're having to um, stay home with your kid, that, that puts you in a bind. For some of us, maybe you're facing financial trials. I mean, I know many of you might be in professions uh, which have been directly affected by all that is going on with the coronavirus. Maybe you work in the restaurant industry and now um, your restaurant's not open. And so you can't get hours, you can't make money, and you start to wonder, um, am I going to have enough money to make it through this crisis? You start to wonder, can I buy groceries? Even when I go to the grocery store, will there be groceries to be had? Maybe you're retired and you're looking at the situation. You get up in the mornings and you turn on the news and you see that the uh, stock market has gone down again and you begin to wonder, is your 401k, is your Roth IRA, or um, are those retirement funds, are they going to be there much longer? Or are you going to have money to live on? Maybe you're in that portion of the population that are more at risk for catching the coronavirus. And you're walking through these days <coughs> a little nervous. You're wondering um, if you're going to get sick. Are you going to be one of the people to come down with this? Uh, and if you do, is the hospital going to be able to treat you? Or the hospital is going to be overrun like they've been overrun in other countries? I think about those who may be in our church right now. We have several families that are, um, that are pregnant. We have several that have just had new babies. I think about those who are in hospitals, who are in nursing homes. I think about those right now who are facing the trial uh, maybe it's individuals that struggle with depression and anxiety. And these days that we're going through is making it extremely difficult for them. We are all going through trials right now with this situation. 
and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It is easy to agree with James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, those verses we just read. It's easy to agree with those things when times are easy. It's much harder to um, hold on to those verses when times actually get difficult. It's much harder to um, truly say, I'm going to count it all joy. It's easy for me to say, I'm going to count this trial joy whenever I'm not in the middle of a trial. It's kind of like Romans 8, 28. You know, we can, we can say those verses, but it's much harder when we're actually in the middle of it. But this is a time in which we must choose to have joy. We must choose it because we know God is going to do something through our lives. That's what James 1, 2, 3, 4 told us. It said that, that we can count it joy because that, that maturity, that, that endurance is going to lead to growth. And we know that growth primarily comes through times of trial, not times of ease. We grow spiritually when we go through difficulties. And so this is a time in which we must have trust in the Lord. We must have trust in his promises. We must have trust in his power. Um, and we must grow in faith through this season. Now today we're going to be studying James chapter 1 starting in verse 12 where James picks up on that train of thought. Um, in the verses in between there he talks about wisdom um, and how we, can, how we can receive the wisdom that we need when we're in a trial. He comes back in verse 12, and he gives us a pathway to blessing, and then he gives us a pathway to death. And we must choose which pathway we're going to take. So let's study that pathway of blessing first. In James chapter 1, starting in verse 12, this is what we read. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, maybe at first glance, you noticed that the message of that verse is the same as the message of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. There is growth, there is blessing to be had for the one who will endure through the trial. He says that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, what does it mean to be blessed in that situation? That word blessed means happy, but it also means to be full of joy. And I think at its root, what it's saying here is that the blessing we receive when we live a life of steadfastness is the joy of knowing that we've pleased our Heavenly Father. That we have done what He desires for us to do. That we are living for Him. Now sometimes blessing is physical. Sometimes God does bless us in physical ways. But many times it's that internal feeling of that knowing that we please our Heavenly Father. But I want you to notice there that it says that, that when he has stood the test of time, it says that he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so God promises a crown of life, and he promises it to those who love him. And so the reward here is based on our love for the Lord. So let's connect the dots. He tells us that steadfast endurance through a trial is motivated by our love for Christ. Not our desire for a reward, but our love for Christ. We obey, we trust, we walk in the Lord's ways, not just to get a reward. We do so because we love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That love for Christ is what motivates us to be faithful in hard times. And so our spiritual growth and our blessing comes not from our willpower, but from our love for King Jesus. And when we successfully walk in love, when we're walking in love with our Savior, 
God promises to bring blessing in this life and in the next. But let's be honest. Sometimes when it comes to those trials, those tests, we get a big fat F. We flunk. We fail. I think back to whenever I was in school, when I was a kid growing up, and we would have to take tests in school. You know, those tests that we take in school can either prove what we know or it proves what we don't know. It can show what we've mastered or it can show what we have not mastered. And spiritual tests can go two ways as well. They, it can either reveal our strengths and prove our faith, or it can expose our weaknesses. It can show our weaknesses, our, our, our shortcomings. And when those weaknesses are exposed, temptation often enters the picture. Now let's think for just a moment of the difference between a trial and a temptation, because we see two different words pop up here. It's really the same Greek word, but the context determines the meaning of the word in these verses. A trial is any situation that we go through um, that tests our trust and faith in the Lord. And God allows us to enter those things. God ordains for us to go through trials. But temptation, on the other hand, is an enticement to sin. It's an inner battle in which we must choose good or evil, right or wrong, holiness or, or sinfulness. Um, and temptation really, at its root, is a shortcut. It's a shortcut to pleasure. It's a shortcut to relief. It's a shortcut to satisfaction. And we can think about it like this to kind of go back to the school analogy. Um, if I wanted to get good grades in school, I could either take the long path, the difficult path, which would be studying, um, doing my schoolwork, turning in my homework on time, preparing for tests, or I could take a shortcut, which would be the wrong way. It would be the, the, the sinful way, and I could cheat. Right? And so there's a difficult path, which leads to good grades, or there's a, a, the temptation to follow an evil path, a, a sinful path. That, that's what temptation is. It, it, it tempts us to take a shortcut. And so trials are not temptation. But as we walk through trials, we will oftentimes face temptation to disobey, temptation to lose faith in the Lord. Now, God most definitely tests his children. He does. And maybe right now, um, you know that to be true, that God is taking us through a test. He's walking us through a test of our faith. Will we have faith in him or not? Um, I think about a couple of biblical examples of times whenever God tested his children. I think about Genesis chapter 22, whenever God tests Abraham by commanding Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. And he told Abraham to take his son and to sacrifice him on an altar um, and just to trust the, the word of the Lord. Now, remember, Abraham was a very old man, and Isaac was the, the one promised son. And here, God finally gives Abraham this son Isaac and then tells him to go sacrifice him. And so it was a test of whether or not, whether or not Abraham would truly have faith in the Lord. And Abraham passes that test, and he grows in his faith. He proves his faith to God because he is obedient. And if you've read that story in Genesis 22, and if you haven't, go read it. God intervenes right in that moment whenever Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. God intervenes and, and tells him, look, you did exactly what I told you to do. I'm going to bless you. You are faithful. But I think about another instance in which God tested his children and they failed. I think about the Israelites when they wandered through the wilderness. Over and over again, he gave them tests and multiple times they failed. One in particular was whenever he promised that he was going to send them manna. 
every day, except for on the Sabbath, they would receive manna. They would go out in the morning and receive this manna. It would be their food for the day. They were to only collect enough for that one day for their household. Except for on Friday, they were to collect enough for two days, for that day and also on the Sabbath when they were to rest. And so the test was whether or not they would trust the Lord. And so some of those Israelites obviously trusted the Lord. Some of them did not. And they would go out on those days and they would collect too much because they were afraid that God was not going to provide the next day. And what would happen? They would wake up the next morning and that, that manna would be rotten. It would be stinking. It would be decaying because they did not trust the Lord. And, and so here was that test. They failed the test. And as a result, what do they start to do? They grumble. They complain. They begin to lose faith in God. And so a test for Abraham proved his faith, but a test for the Israelites revealed their lack of faith. And in that test, the trial led to a temptation to sin. And the Israelites were tempted to sin in that moment by losing their faith in God, by beginning to blame God. You know, it's almost like James knows what's coming here in James chapter 1. Um, you know, he tells us that, that blessed is the one who perseveres through the trial. Um, and it's almost like he's anticipating that someone is going to say, well, if God allows me to go through a trial, um, and in that trial I come to temptation, and I failed at that temptation. Well, that means it's God's fault because he's the one that allowed it to come because he put me in the trial and the temptation came and I failed. So it's not my fault. It's God's fault. He did it to me. But this is what James had to say in James chapter 1, verse 13. Take a look at that verse. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God is absolutely holy. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that this is the message we have received from him, or we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. He is holy. He is perfect. He is just. There's no sin. There's no darkness within him. And so he is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone else with evil. And so you can't blame God for your failures. You can't blame God for temptation because he's not connected to that. He doesn't he doesn't tempt people that way. Now, you might say to yourself, "Well, I, I would never blame God for my failures." But hold up just a second. Cuz I bet you do. I bet there are times in which you do. You know, people have been blaming God for their failures since the beginning of man. I think about Adam. After he ate the fruit in the garden that he was told not to eat and God approaches him and said, what did you do? Why did you do this? Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. This is what we read. That the man that Adam said to God, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Did you hear that? He said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. Adam is pointing the finger back at God and saying, God, this woman is the reason why I sinned. And oh, by the way, God, you're the one that gave her to me. So really and truly, God, this is your fault. He's blaming God for the temptation. He's saying, I wouldn't have failed God had you not given me this woman. And so, God, it's your fault. We do this at times. We will point the finger back at God. Like in times in which we say, well, God, I, I just couldn't help it. I couldn't help that I sinned right there. In a sense, we're saying to God, you didn't give me a way out. You didn't, you didn't give me any other alternative but to sin. Or times maybe when we say, well, if God put, hadn't put me in that spot, if he, hadn't, if he hadn't allowed me to go through that, then I wouldn't have done that. Or it's just the way I am. I can't help it that I did that because it's just the way I am. 
That's blaming God too, because in essence, who created you? God did. And so if you say that, in essence, you're saying it's God's fault. Or maybe you've said this, well, that's just my weakness. That's blaming God too, because you're saying, God, why haven't you fixed that weakness in me? In those times and in others that we probably could think about if we took some more time, we're blaming God. We're trying to put the blame back on God. We might not say it out loud, but we are. But James says you can't blame God. But if you can't blame God, who, who gets the blame? Whose fault is it? James tells us in verse 14. He gets right to it. He says, we're not tempted by God, but, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. You might be, have expected Satan's name to be in there, you know? You might have thought, well, maybe he's going to turn around and say, well, God doesn't tempt you, but Satan does. But James doesn't even bring Satan into the picture right here. He does in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, and so he definitely gives attention to Satan and Satan's role in temptation there. But here, the attention is on me and on you. It's on us. We are tempted by our own desires, he said. Our sin problem comes from within not from without but first of all from within temptation shows up and our sinful self comes right back up and our we have this desire to get out of this trial to get a shortcut we get fooled um, and what you thought was good what you thought was okay what you thought was going to be fine and good turns out to just be bait turns out to be just a lure that's your own desire uses to draw you away from the Lord. Reminds me of this. Um, several years ago, I, I went fishing with um, some buddies here from church at a pond not too far from our church. Um, and we went over there. We had been fishing a couple of hours. And uh, um, we were kind of going around the bank. We caught a bunch of fish, but we pretty much fished the whole pond probably two times, maybe three times over, just going around and around. Um, and I got to this one spot that I had already fished multiple times, and I was throwing probably what is my very favorite fishing bait, a chartreuse spinnerbait. I mean, I use a chartreuse spinnerbait probably 75% of the time when I'm bass fishing. And so here I am, I'm just throwing it out there over and over again, just kind of just passing the time, thinking maybe I'll catch something else. Hadn't been catching the, the you know, we'd caught a bunch of fish, and then it kind of died off a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I throw it out there, and boom, the water just explodes and this giant fish is on the line. They have taken the bait. I thought at first it was a catfish because there was some big catfish in the pond. We had never really seen any big bass. But then all of a sudden that bass jumps out of the water with that hook in its mouth and the bait hanging out. Um, and one of the buddies that I was with says, that's a bass. And we ran over, you know, they ran over there and helped me to, to land that fish. And it was just short of six pounds. Biggest bass I've ever caught. I was about to, um, my, my heart was pounding, about to come out of my chest. I was so excited because of this fish. I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking about how long it would have taken for that bass to get to be that big. Probably at least six years, maybe even longer from what I was able to find on uh, the internet. Um, in a small pond like that, a fish of that size had probably seen a chartreuse spinnerbase bait come by its face over and over again. That particular day, it had probably already seen it several times. And in the course of its six years or more that it, is, it had lived in that pond, it probably had seen one dozens of times, maybe even hundreds of times. It's in that instinct, it's in that fish's instinct to strike. 
but yet it had never done so. We had never caught a fish that big um, in that pond. We didn't even know there were fish that big in that pond. Um, and over and over again, it had seen that bait go by. It had seen that spinnerbait go rolling right by, and, it had, and that fish had thought, nope, not the real thing, not the real thing, not the real thing, not the real thing. But right there in that moment of weakness, one more time, here comes that chartreuse spinnerbait. Fish seizes forward, or rushes forward, seizes the bait, you know, hook's been set, reel the thing in. Moment of weakness. That's exactly the nature of temptation. We go through life, we face a trial, we think everything's okay, um, and then suddenly, here comes this desire. Here comes this temptation coming across in front of us, and we have a moment of weakness, and suddenly, maybe we've turned down that, that lure in the past. Maybe we've turned down that bait. We've said, I'm not going to do it, not going to fall for that trap, but then here's that moment of weakness, and our desire for God is surpassed by our desire for satisfaction in the moment. And James calls that the path to death. He says in James 1.15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He's giving us the pathway to death here. He says that, that we enter into this trial. Um, temptation comes our way. Um, we, our desire is to be out of the trial. We don't know when the Lord's going to get us out of that trial. So then we begin to see this temptation and think maybe that's the way to get out of this trial. Um, our sinful desire then overcomes our love for the Lord. Let's remember back in that pathway to, to, to blessing, it's all about the love of the Lord. And so the pathway to death, what's it really about? Our love for desire, our love for pleasure. And so that, that love for pleasure overcomes, overwhelms our love for God and we fall for the trap. We've taken the pathway to death and that sin brings consequence. Now he says death here. He says it's the pathway to death. It brings forth Death, that sounds really extreme, but it's true. If you're lost, he's speaking of spiritual death. He's speaking of eternal separation from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from a holy, loving God who wants to love you, who wants to give you eternal life, but that sin separates you from God. It's placed you on a pathway to eternal Death is the consequence of your sin. But fortunately, Romans 6.23 also tells us that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> so the wages of your sin, what, what it's earned you is death. But the free gift of God of life, the, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ came to this earth, the Son of God came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross as the punishment for my sin and for your sin. And he offers you eternal life if you'll simply receive that gift. If you'll begin a relationship with him, if you'll ask him to forgive you of your sins. A relationship with Christ gives you victory over death. Even though you've walked on the pathway to death for years and years and years and years and years, the Lord wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. He wants to call you back if you will receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're lost today, I want to encourage you to, to reach out to me. We'll have our contact information at the end of this video. I want to encourage you to reach out to another Christian 
and, and talk to them about how you can become a Christian, how you can receive this eternal life that Jesus Christ promised, how you can, you can escape from the eternal death that is coming for you. You can have eternal life if you'll admit that you are a sinner, if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is God in the flesh, that he came and lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death on a cross to pay my sin price and your sin price, and that he rose from the grave victoriously, proving that all that he had said was true, and he truly is the Son of God, and he's paid the price of your sin. If you'll believe that, and if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, if you'll ask him to forgive you of your sin, and to become the Lord and Savior of your life, you can have eternal life. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but let me just say this to believers in the room that are watching right now. Don't think for a second that this verse doesn't apply to you. Now, yes, I know that as a born-again believer, eternal death has no hold on us. Christ has paid the price. He has taken the punishment of our sin. Our eternal consequence is gone, but there is still earthly consequence when we sin. When we choose the path of death, as a believer, when we allow our desire for pleasure to overcome our love for the Lord, we will suffer consequence. <laughs> and so we can choose this pathway to blessing, a, a pathway that is built on our love for God, or we can choose this pathway to death. Every single day, there's a choice to be made. Every single moment, there's a choice to be made, a choice to love the Lord or to love our own pleasure. Which one are we going to choose? It comes down to this. If we take our eyes off of Jesus in that moment, in that trial, temptation is going to come and lead us away. My college pastor, um, Ed Newton, way back when, um, used to always like to say there are only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God and pleasing self. And when we choose selfish desire, we are choosing to please self. You see how that works? There's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God. We can choose to please God, to love the Lord, to serve him with our lives, or we can choose to please ourselves, our own selfish desire, our own sinful desire. And when we choose to please the Lord, Jesus is our victory. He is our prize. He is our joy. He is our blessing. And so we must remain focused on our love for him, or we will succumb to our love for our pleasure. When our eyes move from pleasing the Lord to pleasing ourselves, we will fall headlong into sin and consequence will follow. Now, why would I preach on this today? <laughs> I mean, you would think that with everything thing going on in our world right now that maybe I would choose to preach on trust. Maybe I would choose to preach on faith. Maybe I would choose to preach against doubt. Uh, preach on, against worry. Um, I didn't just choose to preach on these verses today because of the fact that we've been going through James as a church, um, and that's where we happen to land today. I believe God ordained that we would be on this passage today. Um, but you see, all those things that I just mentioned, trust and faith and doubt and worry, that is really what the battle is with temptation. Will we walk by faith and trust in the Lord? Or will we doubt his will? Will we doubt his power and his way and his love for us? And in doubting, will we run headlong toward our own desire and our own pleasure? We are in a time of trial right now. There's no doubt about it. And every single day, we're going to wake up to temptation that's going to hit us left from left and from right. Um, temptation after temptation. It's going to be temptation to grow angry with God. <clears throat> Why would God allow this to happen? Why must we go through this? Why doesn't God just go ahead and eradicate the coronavirus? We're going to face that temptation to think that. 
to begin to doubt his goodness, to doubt his power. We're going to be tempted to pull away from the word, to pull away from other believers. Hey, we can't join with the church physically, so I guess I'll just worry about my own self. Um, we're going to be temp tempted to lose trust, to begin to worry, to grow anxious. We're going to be, be tempted to be selfish. I mean, even something as simple as going to the grocery store, will be, will be, we be selfish and care only about ourselves or will we care about others as well? All these temptations are like baits, lures that are be thrown out, thrown out in front of us and dragged across in front of our face, wondering, are we going to seize the bait? Are we going to take the bait to chase off after our own desire or will we love the Lord? That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 teaches us that we must walk by faith and not by sight. If the only thing that is guiding us are our physical eyes, um, we have plenty of reason to fear, plenty of reason to be anxious. If that's all that we can see is what we see with our eyes in this physical world, um, <clears throat> there's, there's plenty of justification to uh, live with anxiety in a day like today. But we must walk by faith because our physical eyes deceive us. They deceive us into thinking that God is not in control, that God does not love us, that God does not care for us, that he's forgotten us. Um, we must not walk by sight. We must, we must walk by faith in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in his power and his way. Because if we will, in love with the Lord, choose to trust him, we will find the path to blessing. And if we don't, <clears throat> we will find the pathway to death. I want to thank you for joining us today uh, to watch this video, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Um, if today you have come to the point of realizing that you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, you're lost, and you're eternally separated from God. As I shared a moment ago, um, I'd like to encourage you to make a decision to follow Jesus with your life, to receive the eternal life that he offers. If that's you, I would love it if you would reach out to me. Um, I'll have my contact information at the end of this video, our church's contact information. You can reach me through our website, fisherville.org. Um, you can go there. Um, I would love to be able to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus. And I would love to be able to share with you how he can give you hope in this life. Even in crazy days like today, he can give you hope. But if you're a believer today, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, are you walking by fear right now? Are you walking... Um, using your physical eyes or are you trusting in the Lord are you walking each day in love with the Lord knowing that he will never leave you nor forsake you that he has you in his hand um, and he will never let you go would you pray with me Father God how we thank you for your word and how your word cuts right to the heart of the issue because today we are in a trial. And in this trial, we need faith. A faith that is driven by our love for you. <clears throat> so Father, I'm praying that if anyone is watching this video today and they do not have faith in Jesus Christ, that today would be their day of salvation. That they would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That they would turn to him and pray, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ came to save me from my sin. And so I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. It's as simple as that. God, I pray that if someone here today needs to pray that prayer and to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. And Father, I pray for the believers who are listening to this message. 
that we would walk by faith and not by sight, that we would choose the, the path of blessing, that we would love you even when the days are dark, even when the days are hard. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we've chosen to study the word together online rather than in person. <laughs> we hope to be back uh, to regular service. It's very soon. We really don't know when that's going to be. But for now, um, this will sort of be our uh, way of doing things until we are able to meet again. Um, if you're watching this and you don't normally attend our church, First Baptist Fisherville, um, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> we'd love to have you come join us whenever we are able to uh, meet back on our campus. Or please, like I said, reach out to me or any of our staff if we can pray for you or help you out in any way. Um, if you're a member of our church, a regular attender of our church, we are asking, please be faithful to give to our church. Even though we're not having services on our campus right now, um, we still um, need you to be faithful in giving because our ministry is still going on. We're still ministering to people around the globe um, through the generosity of our people. And so we need you to be generous and continue to give, especially to give. We are collecting our Annie Armstrong Easter offering right now. And uh, that offering goes specifically to support church planters and missionaries in North America. And so please consider giving to that offering. You can give in one of two ways. You can either mail your check in to the church, um, or you can go on our website, fisherville.org, and click on, click on the Give tab at the top, and that will take you to a page where you can uh, um, give one time or you can set up regular giving there. Uh, but please, please, um, prayerfully give to the work of our church. We need you, especially in this time, to be faithful in giving. Uh, we'll be posting more videos um, in the coming weeks with other things, some just encouraging words from our staff, um, more messages and things like that. So definitely check back again later, um, and we'll have some more content for you. Thank you. Goodbye.